Good morning. We are in part eight of the Unstoppable Force series. This has been an amazing journey as we're watching those that walked with Jesus and saw him crucified, saw him after he rose again and then ascend into heaven, his disciples and how they responded, what they did, and actually the birth of the church. This happened more than 2,000 years ago. Jesus had told them that they would they could expect the Comforter, and then in Acts chapter 2, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been with us this whole series, it's on YouTube. You can go back and see the progression that we've been going through as we've been walking through the book of Acts and really the birth of this unstoppable force, the church. No matter what's happened in the world, no matter what's happened politically, no matter what's happened with sickness and disease, no matter what has happened in our world, no matter who's tried to stop the church, it's been this unstoppable force for more than 2,000 years. And we want to look at what happened early on because our culture has changed. People are not coming to, to church the way that they used to. They're not coming to God. And, and really, we want to see how, did, how was the church born because it didn't exist. And when I talk about the church, really, the church is you and I. It's not necessarily the building that we're in. The, now, we call it a church. We gather together as the church, and, and, and churches are in pockets and communities of common believers coming together for a common purpose to reach this area and also to care for each other. So that's why the church exists. And, and we saw when Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter took advantage of the opportunity, preached, and it said that more than 3,000 people joined them that day. And then just a little bit later, Peter and John were in the temple, and, and, and Peter had, they had healed this man that had been lame for 40 years. They preached again, and man, all kinds of things happened. And again, another couple thousand people were added to their numbers very quickly. It happened a lot. And so they began to form these communities. And at the end in Acts chapter 2 and then again in Acts chapter 4, the same sentiment was said. And I want to read to you out of chapter 4 what was happening. Chapter 4 verses 32 through 37. We talked about this already last week, but I just kind of want to remind you. It says, all believers were united together in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. They were, there were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, one of the apostles named, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the Isle of Cyprus. He sold a few of the own and brought the money to the apostles. They cared for the needs of each other. That's what was happening. That was what was so amazing about this. This new thing was happening. Jesus had just ascended into heaven. The power of the Holy Spirit had come, and it just sent them into this whirlwind of building community. That's really what the church is about, is a community of believers worshiping together and coming together for a common purpose and good. They would care for their needs. Jesus even talked about this 
And, and we find it in John 13, 35. He says, you, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus told them that they would, that their love for each other, our love for each other, would show the world that we are his disciples. Somewhere along the line, we, it, it's happened throughout church history, people's ambitions and, and Satan would come in and disrupt and people would get more concerned about how buildings looked and more concerned about whether things were done the way they wanted them to or their own agendas or their own power would come into play and the church would go through these periods of time where it no longer looked like the love that Jesus is talking about here. I think one of the things that marked the early church was that sense of community. Now in a, the world that we live in today, I would say post-COVID, but it's really not post-COVID. COVID had created a time where people were isolating themselves trying to stay safe from a virus, and we understand that. But for some, they cut off all forms of communication and relationship. And it created things of great depression. Domestic violence went up. Suicide rates went up. Those things that happened within our homes because people were, were just closing in was creating a, a situation that was difficult because we're meant to be in community. And so now we're finding new ways to be in community. Sometimes it's over Zoom, sometimes it's through text messaging, phone calls, and even gathering together now, doing it in safe ways and, and trying to keep this virus from spreading. We've had to learn new ways to build community. And I believe that God is doing it. I've seen it happen. I've seen people come together and, and be able to do that. And so we're going to talk a little bit further. We're going to continue this journey through what God was doing with the early church and what we can learn from it. Remember, we just read that they were selling property. They were giving away things so that if there was somebody among them that was in need, their needs could be taken care of. That's huge. So there was no need among them. They would sell something to help somebody else out. That's going to bring us to this story, which is a little bit of a, a, a hard story in a way. It's in Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And there's going to be a few moments in this message where I'm going to ask a question. I would like you guys, the chat window is either over here to my left, your right, or at the bottom of the screen. Please give us some answers. Share with this. This is part of how we grow in our community and so we want you to answer these questions as we go along. But I want to read this story to you. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, says, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You've lied to the Holy Spirit, and you've kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. 
And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone heard about it and was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Holy Spirit like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. What's your initial thought when you read this? I mean, is there anybody that's, that's watching this that hasn't lied? We've all lied. So there's some things that are going on here that, that kind of are kind of hard to swallow. You kind of look at this story and you're like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. And you read that last line, it says, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard about it. I, I would say so. That would be really difficult. These are, these are the kind of things that we read about and we, we, we struggle with a little bit. God is very concerned about our holiness. So let me ask you a couple questions, especially for those of you that are online. There's time for some discussion. What was Ananias and Sapphira's sin, and why did God strike them dead? Really, it's kind of one question, but two parts there, I guess. So what was their sin, which we've kind of already touched on, but why did God strike them dead? What made this such a big thing? So take just a minute, put some things in the chat, talk just a little bit, and then we'll jump back into this. Well, thank you for chiming in. Look, look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. The sin was not holding back the money. It was theirs to do whatever they wanted to with. They didn't have to sell the property. They didn't have to give a dime. A lot of people have made this about holding back, and that really wasn't the issue. Nobody said, hey, you have to sell your property. Nobody told them anything that they had to do any sort of thing. It was that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. Why would they do that? Why do you think they lied? What was the purpose? What was their gain? So take another just a couple seconds and put in the chat, why do you think they lied? What was, what was the purpose in that? They didn't have to give anything. God wasn't going to strike them dead because they didn't sell the property or if they would have kept all the money for themselves. Bought a cabin on Lake Lanier, who, you know, whatever they wanted to do. So write down or type in a few, few comments and let's have a little more discussion. Exactly, Peter pointed out that they didn't have to sell the property. 
That would leave the most logical answer is that they wanted to do it out of pride, out of being honored. Maybe they felt like it was going to give them a better social standing with the apostles or the disciples. Maybe it felt like it would make them look better. How many of us have ever lied to make ourselves look better? Probably most of us. If not all of us, if we're truly honest about it. That we, 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 we do things so that people will think better of us. And sometimes those things that we do are not full truths. Again, they could have sold that property and say it was $10,000. They could have gave any amount of that to the church. They could have said, hey, here's like a tithe off that. I'm going to give $1,000 of that. And that would have been fine. But they came in and they lied to them. They said, oh, you know what? We got $5,000 for that piece of property. You can have all of it. Now we gave everything that we had and they held money back for themselves. It was the deception. It was their heart. That was where Satan had deceived them. He was deceiving them and it cost them their lives. Now, thankfully for most of us, when we have done things like that, God hasn't struck us dead. But when we allow that type of sin in our lives, it can be a cancer to the church. It can be a cancer in our own lives. If you knew that the leaders of the church were being deceptive to make themselves look better, it hurts their leadership. It gives you, makes distrust happen. And so they weren't lying just to other people. They were lying to God. And it was discredit, discrediting God and the believers. Remember, they loved each other. They would know each other by love. So there's a couple things I want to pull from this today. It's not going to be long. It's just, we're just going to talk about this particular thing. First of all, the deceit comes from Satan. They were deceiving. This was a heart issue. In their hearts, they weren't truly following Christ. They hadn't given God everything. They were holding back. And they were trying to vie for position and authority. And that goes back to a lot of the things that you saw that Jesus spoke against with the Pharisees. They were more concerned about their position in the synagogue than they were about following God. And Satan deceives us and he gives us in this place where we get our focus on the wrong things. And yeah, we, we even lie to God about it, we, which is pointless because God knows everything. He knows our hearts. But in trying to convince ourselves that we're doing everything right, we lie to God about it. We try to rationalize our behavior and, and, and make sense of it. From the beginning, Satan has been deceiving us from Adam and Eve. He deceived them into eating of that fruit, which led to the sin, the fall of mankind. That deception. It was the same deception for Ananias and Sapphira. No real reason. Satan has been deceiving us. And although when Adam and Eve, and here was the deal, when Adam and Eve were confronted with their sin, they confessed their sin before God and God spared them. Ananias and Sapphira were just trying to make themselves look better, trying to hide what was really going on. And again, I don't know when God will strike somebody dead and when he won't. But God is very serious about holiness and especially among his people. 
He has a lot of grace for us. And there's that tension between grace and holiness. We can't abuse the grace of God by neglecting trying to follow Him and being holy. Now, we're never going to truly be like Him. We're never going to be that fully holy person. And it isn't for us to act like we are holier than anyone else. And that's really, in a way, why they were deceptive. They were trying to look holier than anyone else. The truth was they were deceiving to try and make themselves look better. If we are truly honest with ourselves and honest about who we are, James, I believe it was James that said, confess our sins one to another. We have sin. And we're striving to put that sin away. They put it behind us so that we can live free in Him. And God gives us grace in our sin. He doesn't expect us to be completely sin-free. He knows that we are going to make mistakes. But He also knows, like we've talked about before, that when we turn from our sin and confess it, He is faithful to forgive it. It's when we try to deceive and hold things back that there's an issue. Psalm 101, 7 says this, I will not, I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house and liars to stay in my presence. Read that again. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house and liars to stay in my presence. Yeah, we've lied. We've deceived. We have to put those things behind us. We have to let that go. Not allow Satan, who is the father of lies, to convince us that we need to sow half-truths and lies to make ourselves look better. This is not a status thing. We're just followers of Christ. And if we're followers of Christ and our number one goal is to make disciples, we're going to do everything we can to love and be at peace with everybody around us. And we don't have to lie and deceive to do that. Here's another thing. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things He detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness that pours out lies, and a person who sows, who sows discord in a family. Those things are all about tearing apart those that are around us. See, the sins that God truly just comes against are those that hurt those that are around us. God hates all sin. There are some sins that just tear us apart. But sin always separates us from God, and it hurts the people that are around us. So this lying and deceiving, God takes it very seriously. Those who lie in His house, those who try to make themselves look better, those who deceive because He knows that that is from Satan. He knows that that's what's filling their hearts. There's nothing more that hurts the church. There's nothing will hurt a church more, I should say, than when a leader in the church lies and deceives. We see it all the time. We see people that are very much in the public eye, those that have ministries and we find out that they've been deceiving people for a long time. Maybe they've got a sin in their lives with sexual sins 
or other things like that, and it hurts the church. It doesn't change who God is. And see, here's the thing, guys. You read stories of these men and women that, that have been elevated in the church world, that, that have been leaders in the church world, and you see them fall into sin. If you are truly following God, as much as it hurts you to see those things, It should not change your relationship with God because it is not God who did those things. It is man, just like you and me. We are capable of sinning. We are capable of being deceived by Satan and missing that. So God took drastic measures to show how serious he is about holiness. We need to be striving to be holy. Not to be holier than thou and putting people down, but to be holy in the presence of God, to rid ourselves of sin, to rid ourselves of all those things. So that leads me to the second thing. The results of all this is fear and respect gripped the church. That's what verse 11 said, is great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I think how we can, under we can understand how that works, right? If you had just seen two people that lied to the Holy Spirit fall dead to the floor, I think that would give you a pause. It'd make you think about what you share. It'd make you think about your heart. You'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. Am I lying about something? I need to get this right. And I say fear and respect because true fear of God is respecting God and His Word. I relate it back to, there was a lot of times that, that when I was a kid, that my fear and respect in my parents kept me from doing some things that I knew would get my butt spanked, and I didn't like pain. So I wouldn't do it. It wasn't because I, I thought my parents hated me or anything like that. I just knew and had enough respect for them that if I went down that road, that my consequences were going to be this. And I didn't want to disappoint my parents. That was more than even the pain, was the disappointment. So I don't want to lie to God. But God doesn't expect me to be perfect either. He knows I'm going to stumble. He knows I'm going to fail at times. And that's okay. God's like that that father that sees that child that's trying to take the first steps and the child stumbles and falls. And he's like, come on, you can do it. That's, what, that's how I picture God because he is that way with us. But he also takes deceit from Satan very seriously. He takes sin very seriously. And he wants us, especially the, the closer we grow to him, to be holy to not deceive, to not try and make ourselves look better than we are. Paul talks about this in Colossians, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Not, not a long message today. Colossians 3, 5 through 15 says this, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. God acknowledges that stuff is there. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. 
worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. I want you to notice something for just a minute. All of these things assumes that you still have some of that stuff there. And, and God is saying, hey, and well, through Paul saying, hey, continue to get rid of these things. As what? As you learn to know your Creator and to become like Him. It's not that you're already there. We're not perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just expects us to be moving towards Him. To, as we acknowledge that we have this in our lives, that we confess it and get rid of it. That we move away from it. So we put on that new nature. We're coming like Him. In this new life, at verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. That's what really matters. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults. Again, didn't say we're going to be perfect. Make allowances for each other's faults. And forgive one, anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. And that goes all the way back to John 13, where he said, They will know us by our love. As we grow in our relationship with God, we're going to look more like the way Jesus looked. He loved everyone. Yeah, he was firm. When he went in and cleaned out the temple, it was because they were using God's house and deceiving people. They were deceiving people. Some of these same sins, lying in the seat, taking advantage of people. That frustrates God to no end. And those are the people that He comes against. But when we are seeking after Him, we have nothing to fear in that. When we are striving to become like Him, allowing these things Clothe yourselves in tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Man, don't we need patience? Not only don't we need to have patience, but don't we need people to have patience with us as we learn and we grow? This is a journey together. That's why we do this in community. I read those, that section out of, at the end of chapter 4. It was the same at the end of chapter 2 that they formed a community and they loved and cared for the needs of each other. I'm going to tell you, not everything was perfect. We're going to read as we get further into the book of Acts. There was, there was disagreements about how things should happen. And, but what they learned was how to disagree, but yet still move towards that common purpose, not to allow 
disagreements to become sin, not to allow disagreements to tear things apart. That's what Satan does. Satan uses lies and deceit and disagreements to rip things apart. We can disagree with each other on some things. I guarantee there are people that are watching this that disagree on a lot of things. We are a church body, but I would guarantee that they're not everybody's on the same page politically. Not everybody's on the same page about a lot of things. But as we grow closer to God and the, the power of the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the more and more we're going to look like Jesus, the more and more our worlds are going to come together and we're going to line up. But the key is, is to make allowances for each other's faults. To love and care for one another. To allow the Holy Spirit to sort some of these things out. Yeah, those that, that take advantage of that loving and caring and mercy, that God's going to deal with them. Those that deceive to just try and get what they want. Our job isn't to figure all that out. Our job is to love God first and to love those that are around us, to make disciples. That's what the early church did. They made disciples. They loved one another, said that they would know them by their love. Don't you want to be a part of a community that loves you, that cares for you, that helps you, and that you can help others? You know what, as much as we've been helped in our, our Christian community, it's so much better when we can help somebody else and bring joy to somebody else's life. God brought us together to be the body of Christ. We are disciples. We are the church. We are that unstoppable force. If we will allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, there's nothing that can come against us. Satan can't deceive us and tear us apart. And God showed how seriously he dealt with those that deceived. So I want to pray for you today and I want to wrap this up. Is there anything in your heart that, that maybe you need to confess today? Maybe you need to, to get it out there. And if you need to pray with somebody, click that prayer button. It opens that private window. It's, it's, nobody else sees it. Once it's accepted by one of our hosts, that's just between you and them, and it stays there. It's confidential. It doesn't, it doesn't get sent to anybody else. Let's confess our sins, and let's pray together, and allow the Holy Spirit to make us one. It is my desire that we so love each other, and that we so care for each other, that others want to join into our community, and that we fill heaven with new disciples every day. That's our goal. So let me pray over you today. Father, we are so grateful for your mercy and your Holy Spirit. Lord, we can learn a lot from Ananias and Sapphira, Lord. We don't want to deceive. We don't want to try and deceive you. Lord, I just rebuke Satan's attack on each one that's watching this today. Lord, I pray right now that you would pour out your spirit into our lives, that we would look more and more like you today, that, Father, that you would cleanse us from the inside out, that there would be no lying and deceit in our lives. 
And Lord, I pray over those that we've been reaching out to. I pray over this community of believers that we would love one another, that we would care for one another, that we would help to meet the needs of each other as we can. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of this. We thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. Lord, cleanse us of all sin today. And we love you and praise you for these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Please make sure you spend some time on the chat. Let's get to know one another. Let's not let us be in different locations keep us from building relationships. We hope to see you tonight in our small group at our continued discussion on discipleship. If you don't have the Zoom number, just ask in the chat. We'll get it to you. Thank you again. Have a great day.